It's Sunday morning. Time for the Great Outdoors with Charlie Potter. Brought to you by the all-new Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Good morning, Charlie Potter, your host here on the Great Outdoors Show on WGN Radio, 720 in Chicago, and thank you for joining me this morning. Hope you enjoy the show. I'm going to start off with something that I discovered last week, which has changed my view on winter a little bit. I'll call it winter hiking. And if my connection this morning is not great, it's because I'm actually in a remote location and I don't have access to the studio as I usually do. So winter hiking, we sit inside in the winter and we talk about what we want to do when the weather gets better. And if you go west, when I say west, you go west into Utah and you stay below the snow line. You can have the most incredible winter hiking, no crowds, fabulous scenery. You've got snow-capped peaks as far as you can see and this also is true of southern idaho trails don't have anybody on them there's no snow because you're below the snow line the day the temperature days the temperature gets up into the mid 40s and you are alone with nature where in places where in the summer you constantly see people dogs all kinds of of interferences to what i call a time in solitude so i headed for the lower mountains of Utah and southern Idaho for several days of winter hiking, and it was absolutely awesome. Certainly in the Midwest, you know, we love our snowmobiles, we like our ice fishing, we find ways to get outside. But in the West, in the winter, when there's nobody around, it is an incredibly, incredibly interesting way to see the American West without the, the crush of literally millions of tourists in the summer. So if you're up for an adventure, I would highly recommend Utah and southern Idaho as places to go this winter. Simply check the weather. Unless there's a snowstorm or something, you are going to have the trails to yourself. You're likely to have bright sunshine during the day and incredible mountain views of snow-capped peaks all day long. You're also going to see wildlife that you never see in the summer because, of course, there's the, the leaves are gone from the trees. In my case, I was often above the, the tree line and in the sagebrush, and you see deer, you see antelope, you'll see elk, you'll even see bighorn sheep if you're lucky. You see all kinds of birds that you would never see in the summer because they've migrated into the sagebrush habitat. It's just a, it's a wonderful way to see America in the winter. And, and the surprising thing to me is that so few people have, have actually discovered this and think this is a great thing to do. And I can tell you, you don't, you don't even need heavy clothing. Certainly you're going to bring a backpack with heavy clothing in it in case something were to happen to you. It's not like the summer. At night it gets really cold. But you're, you're hiking in hiking boots. You're hiking in a light jacket. You don't even have a wool hat on most of the time. You've got a baseball hat, but you certainly have a wool hat for when the sun goes behind the mountains or if it's cloudy, you're going to need it. You've got gloves. 
but most of all, you have peace and solitude. So for those of you who really like the out- great outdoors, head west, whether it's not this winter, next winter, and try some winter hiking. It's, it's a tremendous experience. So I'm going to shift from winter hiking to Illinois. Last week, I received as many comments as I ever have on a radio show that I've done when I talked about Colleen Callahan resigning as the head of the director of the Department of Natural Resources, and that we were speculating at the time not only why, but really we were lamenting that she had done and just such an outstanding job in her position that it was sincerely uh, too bad to see her move on and, and have, once again, the, the revolving door of directors in the state of Illinois. But Col- Colleen Callahan has moved on, and we are awaiting official word as to who the next director will be. I think we know who the next director is going to be. I think we're going to, the next director is going to be someone from within the Department of Natural Resources. It's probably someone at the, exec, at the deputy director level. I will speculate that it's, it's going to also be a lady. And I will also speculate that she comes from a very politically connected family in Illinois, the Phelps family, and there's nothing wrong with that. They have been doing good things for the state of Illinois for a long time from downstate. They also are a family that has deep roots in hunting in Illinois. And so if, if I'm right on this, then the next director of the Department of Natural Resources is going to be a lady who indeed is a person who knows the outdoors. She may not have any professional experience in, in the great outdoors as far as being a natural resource manager, but Colleen Callahan didn't have that either. What she had was the ability to listen to professionals, John Rogner and many others, uh, Jerry Edelman, and just a whole host of people who advised Colleen on on how to make the Department of Natural Resources better. So I'm going to speculate, no confirmation, that the next director is going to be from downstate Illinois, is going to come from a very politically connected family, and she is someone who has spent much of her life hunting and fishing. And my only hope is that if, if this comes to pass, that she too will be willing to listen to the professional leadership of people who actually are trained in wildlife management to help run the Department of Natural Resources as well as it possibly can be. I'm also extremely hopeful that the next director, as I mentioned last week, is someone who will help the governor establish a commission form of government for the Illinois Department of Natural Resources. I spent a lot of time on that last week saying why it's necessary. I think it's pretty clear that Governor Pritzker has ambitions for 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue in in Washington, and it would be actually a pretty good revenue resume builder for him if he were to embrace the idea of professionalizing the Illinois Department of Natural Resources and and not continue which has been since since it actually was formed that the governor appoint the director unfortunately very few governors have appointed a director who actually was a professional in the in the outdoor world, natural resource world, and, and almost all of our governors have, politi- have pointed someone who was, for some reason or another, advantageous politically, not professionally. Um, so we have an opportunity before us to change this, to have a commission form of govern- government governance for the Department of Natural Resources in Illinois, where a commission would hire and fire the 
director of the Department of Natural Resources. And as I said a moment ago, if Governor Pritzker does indeed have ambitions beyond the state of Illinois, this would be something that, that could endear him to the natural resource outdoor world by demonstrating he was willing to make a tough decision, at least a tough political decision, and that is to stop the politics of having the director of the Department of Natural Resources be someone from politics, but rather to have it be a professional. And certainly he's going to need the support of the outdoor community. His his track record here, particularly on firearms in the state of Illinois, is, is not very good when it comes to people who generally like to hunt, fish, enjoy the shooting sports in the outdoors. So a step in the right direction would be to form a commission for the state of Illinois and the IDNR. When I come back in a moment, I am going to talk about a couple of opportunities that hopefully are going to be coming our way uh, in the next few months if Congress can get its act together in Washington. I thank you so much for listening. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN. And now a message from our longtime sponsors, the Northwest Indiana and Chicagoland. Chevrolet dealers. When sunrise is your alarm clock, life is different. You eat a ditch for breakfast. Love the smell of diesel in the morning with a hot cup of joe. The weather report is 40% chance of mud. And corporate pull, that's 36,000 pounds of towing capacity with a gooseneck trailer. Mudden is PTO. You know sometimes when the paved road ends, the fun begins. Chevy Silverado 3500 HD is waiting to run over something, anything. No road, no problem, because the best way out is always through. A trouble rides a swift horse, and you don't want trouble pulling a backhoe loader. Chevy Silverado HD is a wake-up call. Now, during Chevy truck season, get a $1,000 accessory allowance toward the purchase of a new truck with accessories. You worked hard for your money, spend it smart. So see your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer today or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com for all the details. Chevy Silverado HD. Power up and experience life in HD. It's Charlie Potter and the Great Outdoors on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome back to the Great Outdoors show. Your host, Charlie Potter, here on WGN Radio. Thank you so much for being with me this morning. And wherever you might be, it's... It's January, which means that we're winding down the end of, of waterfowl season across the country. We also have closed almost all of our upland bird seasons, so time for that dog of ours that we love so much during the hunting season to enjoy the fire. And as I said at the beginning of the show, it doesn't mean you have to stay indoors. There's so much to do outdoors, not only in the Midwest, but, but around, the, around the country. If you just watch the weather a little bit, winter is a, is a great time to get away from people and, and get outdoors. And I'm going to move now from the discussion I had about the Illinois Department of Natural Resources and a visit to the mountains of, of Utah for hiking to something that offers an incredible opportunity if we get it right. And I speak from time to time about the farm bill and how it is the largest driver of uh, conservation in, in America. But by far, it dwarfs conservation spending by the Department of Agriculture it literally is probably 95% or more of all the money that we have on an annual basis for conservation. That's how big, how big it is. And we, uh, we have an opportunity ahead of us with the upcoming Farm Bill to make some really major reforms. And there's a working group that is trying to put together 
recommendations for Congress that are a bit out of the box, but which, if they're adopted, will, I think, have, have profound benefits to America. And, and, the, and the biggest part of this is to, once again, to get Congress to embrace the, the elements of the Conservation Reserve Program, which at one point was up to 38 million acres. It's now, well, it's, it's probably half of that, with even more coming out. And so it has had an enormous benefit to wildlife. CRP, as we discuss often, um, is a program that, that stops soil erosion, helps clean up our rivers, and also where grass, where grasslands are, are planted helps sequester carbon. But it also is a phenomenal benefit to wildlife. And in recent years, as prices of corn and soybeans and wheat have, have escalated greatly, uh, landowners, understandably, are less inclined to set aside land for conservation, even if the payments are good, because the payments are much better from the sale of, of corn and soybeans. What is a possibility? And if you bear with me for a second, it gets a little, a little complicated, but we have been paying the lower rates of rental for poor land. That would be land that is along, generally along river corridors, land that tends to be highly erodible. Um, we, are, we are paying higher rents for good farmland, to take good farmland out of production and put it in a conservation reserve program. We have it exactly backwards. We should be paying considerably more for marginal land because it's the marginal land on which the greatest benefits for society exist. If you're farming in the Illinois River Bottom or any river bottom, anyone listening um, across America, if, if you're farming in riparian areas, floodplains of rivers, farming is taking place by and large where it should not. Because that's where the largest amount of runoff of chemicals comes into our rivers. And it's certainly what, what's causing this, this huge hydrogen issue all the way down to the hypoxic zone in the Gulf of Mexico. Um, but it also brings a an enormous amount of silt into our rivers. All you have to do is look at the Illinois River bottom and the Mississippi River, the backwater lakes, and they're they're an inch de- they're an inch deep in water and they're ten feet deep in, in soil. That is soil that that has been building for for thousands of years since the last glaciers, and now we're we're simply washing it away. Our topsoil is getting blown away into our rivers where it sinks to the bottom. And, and simply is, is of no use um, to anything. And in fact, it's detrimental as, as it simply silts in areas that were once much deeper and had much cleaner water. So if we could have Congress agree, what we need to do is to offer landowners, farmers, an incentive to not farm the most environmentally sensitive lands, particularly riparian areas, pay a premium for landowners not to farm that while recognizing we really want landowners to farm their very best land. And it makes no sense having high annual rental rate payments for good cropland. We want that to be in production. We want the marginal land to be out of production. And how Congress has gotten this backwards for so long, I think, is, is really all about politics Everything is in Washington, D.C. and in the state capitals. But this is a time where I believe we're going to find that there is a coming together of conservation interests along with political pressure to stop 
adding to our nitrogen loads and our phosphorus loads and our soil erosion and to get our riparian areas in particular under excellent wildlife management, which means we're going to have superior habitat for the environment and for society. And after all, it is Americans, all of us, who pay the taxes that enable the farm bill to be possible to begin with. So there's an individual working on this who's been long time close to John Thune, who's leading an effort along with many others, and they are proposing that we basically turn Conservation Reserve Program upside down and get payments for marginal land at a high rate and stop paying for land that, that really should be in, in cropland uh, at a high rate. The question will be, what does the agro-industrial complex want to do with this? We've known for a long time that the equipment manufacturers, the seed dealers, anyone who sells and moves crops is not a fan of the Conservation Reserve Program or any set-aside programs because that means they're not selling as much product. They're not selling as many tractors. They're not selling as much seed, as much fertilizer. They're not moving as much on, on grain on trains, barges, etc. But I think we have to find a place where there is at last some sort of a balance where we recognize we, we really have serious environmental issues as a result of agriculture taking place in areas where the lands, where the soils aren't, are not maybe the best for it, and where the runoff into our rivers is so excessive. That's what we need to do, create buffer areas, as well as taking areas that flood on a regular basis out of production and change the federal crop insurance program while we're at it. But that's the subject for another day. I've got about a minute left. I do want to talk about the possibility that we will uh, see next fall uh, a potential change in the way Americans are being welcomed into the friendly province of Manitoba. I have spoken about this before and will continue to as it moves forward. I mentioned uh, a couple weeks ago or last week, Manitoba's license plate is Friendly Manitoba. Well, due to the proposed changes in hunting regulations for Americans, Manitoba might not be so friendly in the future. So uh, we're going to find out more in the coming month, but let's hope that at the end of the day, Friendly Manitoba indeed remains, remains very friendly to American hunters who've been going there for so long. And that was a vehicle you just heard passing me, so I'm in the dark, high in the mountains of Utah. I'm going to say thank you for listening to The Great Outdoors Show. I'll be back next Sunday morning. Hopefully I have a much better connection as I will have returned to civilization uh, from where I am today. But thanks for listening to The Great Outdoors Show. Charlie Potter and the Outdoor Voices Chicago and America, 720 WGN.